everybody feeling I'm so happy to be back it's the 3rd of April April 3rd 2023 it's 6:57 p.m. and we are here to start off a new week a bright new week it's holy week and yesterday was Palm Sunday. I had a good birthday. I had a, a lot of great people around me. And uh, I even weaved my first palm creations. I made a couple of uh, crosses. And I even made myself a ba- uh, a beehive. Felt like I was doing the lanyards again in summer camp for that one year that I went. And I hated it. Never went back again. Told my parents, please never do Cried every morning. Please don't let me. Don't, don't. I hate summer. I hated it. I hated summer camp. I know some of you kids really like it, and good for you. I hated it. And if you do hate it, just know that you're not alone in your hatred. Terrible. Awful things. Anyway. Anyway, we're here to kick off a new week, and it's going to be a, a, a nutty one. I'll tell you, we are done tonight after this show. I end this show around 8.30 p.m. tonight, and then we go into our final session for book club. Book club focusing around the work, the most famous work of Aldous Huxley, Brave New World. And it just, right now the streak is unbeaten. I don't know how much farther we can go with this, because sometimes you just got to be, you know, you're going to stumble, we're going to stumble upon a book somewhere that'll be, Interesting, good, maybe it'll be a dud, who knows? But it's not all gonna be so culturally relevant. Brave New World is just another one. I think that we hit it with great divorce. It was very culturally uh, culturally relevant. There's a lot of things to reflect on in there, it was incredible. Before that, Windswept House was just, it was a punch in the gut every session and we did I don't know, 14 sessions because it was a 600-something page book. This one, Brave New World, tonight we're ending it all. And uh, <laughs> speaking of ending it all, I, I, I just got to say, if, if, you don't, if you don't at least relate to John the Savage 
in a little in a little way. I mean, anytime I go on Twitter, I feel like John the Savage, and I think that's the worst part about everything that we're dealing with right now, as far as the news. What's about you know, Donald Trump just left um, Florida a couple of hours ago, got to got to New York, and tomorrow he presents himself to the court. They're not going to have him in handcuffs, I don't think. But uh, he's going through the motions over there, and that's happening tomorrow over here in New York, New York. And the worst thing about it is the people, the people who have been psychologically primed for this kind of a face-off, this kind of a cultural boiling point that we have been brought to, this this, this boiling point that we have been brought to, and it's only because of how badly our minds and our spirits have been fractured that this insanity is allowed to happen. So it's bad enough to listen to the Nancy Pelosi's and the Chuck Schumer's and everybody in that little clique over there going on and on about rule of law and how nobody's above it, even though, I mean, please. Um, that's bad enough. But the fact that that bullshit is only able to carry on because of the people below them who have been have had their psyches completely fractured, fractured, splintered into a thousand pieces. It is it is like being John the Savage. Being surrounded by a a bunch of Neanderthals. Chanting orgy porgy orgy porgy and it's. It's terrible. It's terrible, and it's very hard to avoid when it, it becomes such a, a circus like this. There's a lot of things that you can just say, I'm not touching it. Not touching it, and it'll be gone in three days anyway. And I do that a lot. I spare a lot of you guys that. I know there's a lot of you out there who watch this show, and and a, a lot of the, the information you get about the world is relayed through me, which is a little scary. It's humbling. Uh, so I'm not omitting things because I think it's uh, it, there's just some things I can't. I don't want to put myself through, and I just know how these patterns go. That's not going to be one of those things this week. It's going to be very hard to avoid this for however long. And to know that it is yet again, it's the next chapter of Russiagate, impeachment one and two, uh, uh, th- this this latest thing with January 6th, uh, the big lie with that ridiculous, that ridiculous inauguration of the dead man walking the stillbirth, the stillborn president, Joe Biden, stillborn, if there ever was one. And um, this is just the latest of that ridiculous string of attacks, acts of war, acts of war. So tonight, not only are we going to go over that just a little bit, but I'm going to settle down with you and we're going to read a little bit more of a lengthy article that was written about nine months ago by one Benjamin Roberts for I am... 1776.com that I had read and I loved and then it got reshared because of how relevant it is by I am 1776 and it's called American Devils anti-social America from cults to serial killers to classrooms and I think that this is going to be a really good way of understanding what is happening to the average person because we know that this is all um, connected from people around us at the bottom of the pyramid right up to the strings on the hands of the puppet masters who want this kind of social discord to be uh, prevalent. And it's all cult-related, 
it's all um, trauma-based mind control, and that's what we're going to be doing tonight in whatever time that we have, which should be a, a decent chunk, you know. We're only taking about 25 minutes off from the show in total, so let's get to it. I just want to thank my sponsors tonight. Main ones are BlueMonsterPrep.com and Wise Wolf Gold and Silver for all the reasons you would think. Get over to Blue Monster. I ha- I've had people get in touch with me now and say, Frank, I love I love Pat and Gina. I just bought myself a generator. They've got power generators for your house, for your cars, for whatever the hell you need. Big, big generators. Not huge, but the one, you know, physically huge. But they get bigger, more important jobs done. And because they're all solar powered, you don't have to worry too much about gas. And you don't have to worry about putting on a very loud solar gener- a, a, a gas generator and letting everybody in the surrounding neighborhoods knows who has a little bit more resources than the others. And, um, and I know that for a buy like that, it's a little bit more money, but they're, they're creating payment plans for people who are looking to uh, prepare beyond food and water and communication and first aid, going into power, power generation for home, for backup locations. Like I said, it's all solar, so unless they blot out the sun, which (laughs) you just never know. Anyway, that and then Wise Wolf Gold and Silver, quite frankly, dot gold. A little bit of everything. And then you can explore the rest of our good friends and affiliates on the affiliates page on quitefrankly.tv. Also remember that after the show ends tonight, we are into the third installment of the Daniel Craig Bond movies, which I said are very important to pay attention to and to see what messages. You can go into Jay Dyer, who's going to be wrapping up book club for me tonight. Um, He has dived into all of those films very big into ian fleming but definitely as all these films have come out so tonight is skyfall and then we've got specter next week which is a big one that's i think that's the second best one out of out of the five that he did so skyfall you got specter and then no time to die so if you're hanging out make sure you hang out it's going to be a good one all right what else do we have Anything? No? No, that's all. That is all. I got a uh, band practice tomorrow night, so another short show. But then Chris Ann Hall comes on on Wednesday. And then Thursday and Friday, I'm still thinking about it. But I think we'll have plenty to talk about, and we'll have plenty of reasons to open up the lines and see what's on people's minds. I also had somebody else get in touch with me about Rumble. Apparently... Rumble, and I just noticed that people are doing Rumble subscriptions. I didn't know what that was all about. Rumble has created some kind of a special that until the end of 2023, if you subscribe to the channel on a monthly basis, you are all 100% of the subscriptions go to the channel until the end of the year. So if you're just looking for a way to contribute to the show just because, there's that. Feel free and encouraged to subscribe on, on Rumble. But um, we don't have any tools to collect subscriber information on Rumble or anything like that, so we cannot fulfill any of the other perks that we do on the other monthly options that are listed on quitefrankly.tv. So just saying that I uh, there's only so much we can do over here, and we need information to expand those uh, those perks, but we don't have it right now. But that's cool that Rumble is starting that. So they're definitely pulling away from the competition because I've been demonetized on YouTube 
since April of 2020, and suddenly there's Super Chats coming in again on Rumble, and it's almost like old times. So thank you all so much. I also want to, uh, with that, I want to announce the winner of the March monthly subscriber raffle, which you are automatically entered into at any tier when you become a monthly subscriber, and that's Brandon Hathaway. You are the monthly winner. I'll let you know what you won after the show. It's going to probably include an Aurora original. So she's been doing a lot of art lately. So these can be great. Do some giveaways from time to time. Maybe I'll make some bookmarks with those. Lauren had a great bookmark idea at one point. Maybe we'll revisit that. Uh, for my birthday show, for my birthday dinner, I guess everything's a show with me. Uh, for my for my birthday dinner, I took out uh, Lauren and my mother and Aurora. So all my girls, we went out to dinner. And as we're walking out, I said, oh, shit, look, it's Judge Janine. Judge Janine was sitting just a couple of tables away from us at the restaurant. Hadn't noticed. I walked up to her. I said, Judge, can you punch me right in the fucking face? And she took off her stilettos. And she, 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 she destroyed me. She just fucking destroyed me. So that was nice. All right. And uh, now we have some other matters to attend to in the opening the opening grab bag let's go shall we oh well there's an empty seat and there's a blank screen i forgot to do that right now we would go here's an interesting article this was brought to my attention by mike in pittsburgh vinyl did you hear about this it was about a week ago and i did not see it vinyl albums outsells CDs for the first time in 35 years. Obviously, it's just all vintage and, you know, people are, they they start clamoring for the past and the retro feel is good. You remember in the 90s, people, uh, uh, eight tracks came back for five minutes? I remember it came back for five minutes. It was very novelty. But this is something different. I mean, the, the vinyl, uh, vinyl has always had a market. It always will have a market because of, DJs and and uh, DJs just that just prefer vinyl, so it'll always have a market. But this is a, a little bit different. While streaming is still king, for the first time in nearly forty years, vinyl records have outsold compact di- compact discs. Obviously, CD sales have dipped as CDs become outmoded by streaming services, and there are few fewer cars that actually play CDs. Yeah, Jason Lipschitz. The senior director of music at Billboard said, and now we're looking at a whole new market of vinyl lovers who want to have the kind of listening experience of sitting down, playing a record, flipping it halfway through and enjoying the sound quality. And it is a very warm sound quality. It is. I, I bought my parents and, um, and in-laws Vitrola players recently. Um, so I gave everybody... It was a combination. There was a CD player in it. There's also radio, and then there's the the records. So hopefully they're all enjoying it. I know my mom has. I know Aurora has. She plays with uh, my mother's radio thing all the time. That's why we had to unplug it, because she kept turning it on and blasting it. So at the wrong times, of course, we love playing music and letting her run around, but sometimes it's just too much. Vinyl record sales have actually been on the rise for 16 straight years with an extra bump in demand during the pandemic. 
Even going beyond the pandemic, back to the 2010s, people want these vinyls as collectibles. According to the Record Industry Association of America, last year 41 million albums were, were sold, uh, vinyl albums were sold, compared to 33 million CDs. There's a lot of interest in collecting vinyls again, all generations, period. Says Jamal Alznar, the owner of Iconic Village Revival Records in Greenwich Village. You know, my my town had a had a had a record store for many years. Very, very edgy name. It was called the Vinyl Solution. <laughs> very edgy name. Finally, I think they had to change it. But only after like two decades. The Vinyl Solution. That was in our town. A little bit of a uh, little bit of history. Local history for you. All right, here's another little bit of local history over here in the tri-state area. Coca-Cola produces as much as $2 billion of pure cocaine every year in a secretive New Jersey factory, all thanks to its iconic recipe and a very special arrangement with the DEA. The New Jersey plant receives up to 500 metric tons of coca leaves every year. No other company in the U.S. is allowed to import coca and make cocaine. After decocainizing, decocainizing the leaves for syrup, the narcotic is sold on to pharma. A small chemical processing plant hidden in a quiet neighborhood in New Jersey has an exclusive license to import coca leaves in the U.S. on behalf of the Coca-Cola company and manufactures as much as $2 billion of pure cocaine every year. The leaves are used to produce a decocainized ingredient for the iconic soda and the cocaine byproduct is sold to the nation's largest opioid manufacturer, which markets the powder as a numbing agent and topical anesthetic for dentists. Did you know this? Had you heard about this? The unassuming fac uh, facility in Maywood has been processing coca leaves for Coca-Cola for over 100 years and is now run by a chemical manufacturer called Stepin Company. It operates under the special licenses issued by it to the DEA and is the only company in the U.S. permitted to import coca leaves and manufacture cocaine. Well, we got to change that. And just this year, on January 30th, Stepin successfully renewed its petition for permission to continue importing the controlled substance into the U.S. I had a lot of my friends, uh, a, couple, a couple of my Peruvian friends would talk about the coca leaves down down in their uh, their ancestral homes, especially when they go on long hikes. You can just pull these things right off the trees and chew on them a little bit, and it'll give you a little kick, a little jolt, so you can keep up with the day's work. Chewing on coca leaves. I said, really now? Well, there you have it. According to the pharmaceutical company listings online, it could be around $2 billion of cocaine a year. They're really missing out really missing out yes indeed all right well that's it that's it i'm just putting those couple of things out there for the pre-show and we're on to the main thrust of monday night april 3rd 2023 don't go anywhere ladies and gentlemen in fact please share the show syndicate the show tonight be my social media sponsor i have all the live links distributed across all the quite frankly socials you can find me anywhere right now, almost. I don't know all the places available anymore. There's too many. But I will, uh, I'll talk to you in a bit. Please help me get the show out there. Like 
this broadcast, especially if you're on Rumble. We've been making wonderful gains over there because of all the help you guys and gals have been giving us. And on YouTube, please, just light a candle for us. That's what the, uh, that's what the like button is. Just light a candle. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Clouds by Kenobi. We'll do those Saturday night music, music call in shows in mo- months. All right. So, welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. It's great to have you in. Give this episode a nice thumbs up. Share the link with everyone you know and keep dumping those super chats on me. Quite frankly, superchat.com. There's Rumble Rants. There's Gold Pills on quitefrankly.tv. Oh, man, we had a great night on on the Sunday night programming last night. Boy, if you watched it all to uh, from start to finish, then you were probably on the, the, the West Coast because it was a late night for those of you on the East Coast. We started around 8.30. I said we got to start earlier than 9. And all we were able to do is find a, a launch time about a half hour prior but uh, we played Ben-Hur which is three and a half hours with the intermission and everything and then the overture and then we had Ten Commandments so it was a long night on TV, and I think that next week next Sunday for Easter we will play Ten Commandments first a little bit earlier on in the night earlier on in the afternoon and then several biopics, as we usually do on Easter. It's going to be good. I've become so much more excited for Easter over the last couple of years. Um, so much more excited. Uh, it, it's been something else. It really has been. And it was nice going to, to Mass on Sunday for the first time in nearly 20 years. For, and having it not be a funeral or a wedding. That was the, That was the big thing for me. So that was nice. It was nice. My mother came with me too. And, uh, and we went to the wrong church at first. <laughs> I misread the text from my friend, Father Tom. And I went to the wrong church. But I got there in time and then she, she walked in s- shortly afterwards. That was nice being there with mom. On my birthday, she gave birth to me. All right. So here's what I have. 
Not only are things here in New York heating up with the arrival of the recently indicted Satan spawn that must be defeated at all costs, Donald Trump. But remember, just just remember when all this is going down that um, these sick bastards still have criminal investigations running in several other districts across the country. That's how sick, how sick they are. And if they gag him, Everybody's speculating whether or not there's going to be a gag order here. It is exactly how I always describe them. They're rapists. They hold you down. They do whatever the hell they want. They want you to shut up because if you protest, then that makes you look suspicious. That makes you, you're obstructing some kind of an official proceeding. You're obstructing at that point if you protest or talk about it in any way. If there's any other side to the story that is provided to the public other than their side, then you're obstructing, even though they're in the middle of a of an all-out molestation. And and this is what they've been doing for God knows how. I mean, it's just unreal. Now, I, I agree with people like Mark Levin and others who are finally saying, you know, I've been, I'm, I've been on this side of the fence for a long time, that we have officially crossed the Rubicon and we live under a tyranny of, of an autocratic, um, hateful, hateful, illiberal state. One where election theft, extortion, money laundering, and selective enforcement of the law is the new standard. That's just the standard. And that, and, that, and of course, ruining holidays. They love ruining holidays because this, this could have been done on April 17th, of course. Of course it could have been. But no, no, it could have only been announced and taken care of on Holy Week, just like they love screwing up uh, November and December, too. They just want everybody completely completely stressed out in some of the most sacred times of year. And the mugshot, boy, boy. Now, we have been saying for, for, for a couple of years now, for a couple of years now, when they get that mugshot or if they get a picture of him in handcuffs, that's what they want. And it's purely psychosexual for them. Purely. Born from that dominatrix power dynamic that they love throwing around. So for those of us who are not part of this cult, the mugshot, of course, becomes something else. This becomes a Spartacus moment when, you know, after Spartacus is defeated and his men are crucified along the Appian Way by the Romans to pretty much become a message for any future slaves not to revolt. That's exactly what this is all about. That's what that mugshot is going to be. But <clears throat> for very sick people, many of them in our own lives, they're, they're going to have their little jack-off session, no doubt. <clears throat> now, what I want to get to here, first one up, <clears throat> is an article by Victor Davis Hansen. And it was up on AM Greatness, and it's on his website as well. So I want to read it to you. And then we're going to get into the, the deep, dark, heavy stuff. It's called, the headline is, Indict One and All. As we await the publication of all the impending indictments of former President Donald Trump by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, Americans are trying to figure out what constitutes an indictable offense for current and retired public officials. Most legal experts left and right have noted the following. Number one, Bragg promised in advance that he would try to find a way to indict Trump. His prior boasts are reminiscent of Stalin's secret police enforcer, uh, who said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Nancy Pelosi gave the game away when in her dotage, 
she muttered that Trump had a right to prove his innocence as if he is presumed guilty. Number two, no former president has ever been indicted and for good reason. Such prosecutions would be viewed as persecutions and render all former presidents veritable targets of every publicity hungry and politically hostile local, state, or federal prosecutor. Well, I mean, prior to Donald Trump, most of them are war criminals, especially the ones who are still alive, war criminals. Millions of people have been killed by the by Bush and Clinton, Obama. What, what was the civilian uh, the civilian whoopsie rating for all of Obama's drone warfare where we actually ran out of bombs under his his leadership? Like not over 90% of every drone bombing in the Middle East killed women and children. I mean, they should all they should be I think prison is, is too kind to the Bushes and the Clintons and the Obamas. I think prison is way too kind. But, you know, D- Donald Trump uh, made some, uh, you know, made, made some uh, unsavory uh, accounting categories. Very, very bad stuff. Uh, gratuitously prosecuting former presidents would become a political tool to harm the opposing political party or to tarnish the legacy of a former president. Number three, Trump is currently ahead in the polls for the Republican nomination to face Democrat incumbent Biden, and in head-to-head matchups, he outpolls Biden. For a prosecutor of the same party as the current president facing re-election to seek to destroy the viability of a likely opponent is a first in U.S. history. But again, it is now in accordance with third world norms. I mean, that's the reason why they impeached him the first time, Trump. They said that he was trying to go after Biden, which was really a cover-up so that nobody actually learned the depth of the, the, um, of the criminality that was going on out there in Ukraine with many of our, uh, our new noble class families over here involved, not just the Bidens. At least, two, can you imagine if, if Donald Trump had a, a friendly DA go after, I don't know, any of the proclaimed 2020 candidates for the Democrats because of because of some accounting or hush money? Ridiculous. Anyway, at least two left-leaning federal and state prosecutors previously have passed on the same evidence that Bragg is now using for his indictments. They have explained that such a prosecution is infeasible because of statutes of limitations, uh, because of a state attorney improperly appropriating the role of federal prosecutor and because non-disclosure agreements are a fact of life and not strictly illegal. Bragg's chief, the chief witness, Michael Cohen, this is the fifth point, is a felon and a confessed liar with a deep personal hatred of Donald Trump, a well-known to all potential prosecutors. Well, that's the whole point there. That's the whole point. The biggest point. It's all based on the testimony of a lying weasel lying weasel, and a completely irrelevant gold-digging tramp. Number six, the current indictment follows a long line of historic harassment of Donald Trump, including the first incidents of two impeachments of a sitting president, the first impeachment trial of a president as a private citizen, and the first FBI armed raid of a retired president's home, the first instance of an FBI director leaking confidential presidential conversations to the media for the purpose of appointing a special counsel to remove a president. Oh, I even remember that. I, re- I, I, I forget, I should say. I forget that. 
oh oh my god and that weasel james comey he probably goes he probably goes to 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 breakfast every morning at a really nice luncheonette somewhere in a lily white neighborhood somewhere that doofy seven and a half foot seven and a half foot popsicle probably goes out and has a nice little egg white omelet with spinach piece of shit Such such asymmetry also raises questions about the equal application of our laws as they apply to all our other officials, current and out of office. Or to put it another way, what crime did Trump not do that others did with either impunity or without being arrested? Here's an example of 20. Wonderful. Let's get into those. Number one, Trump did not violate federal law as Hillary Clinton by destroying federally subpoenaed emails and devices in order to hide evidence. Trump did not violate federal law as did Hillary Clinton by sending classified government communications on her own through an unsecured home-brewed server. Trump did not violate federal law as Hillary Clinton did by hiring through three paywalls a foreign national who is prohibited from working on presidential campaigns to compile a dossier to smear her presidential opponent. Trump did not violate federal campaign laws as Hillary Clinton did by hiding her payments as legal services to Christopher Steele through bookkeeping deceptions. Trump did not, as Bill Clinton, use a crony to search out a high-paying New York job for a paramour in order to influence her testimony before a special counsel. Number six, Trump did not, as Bill Clinton did, receive $500,000 honorarium for speaking in Moscow while his wife, our Secretary of State, approved the long-standing and lucrative desire of the Kremlin for North American uranium to be sold to a Russian consortium. If you bring this up with all of the the mind-fractured idiots out there who are jacking themselves off to the idea of a Trump mugshot, they'll roll their eyes and say, cope harder, boomer. So just remember, you're talking to literal fucking animals. Trump did not, as did Barack Obama, promise Vladimir Putin that he would be flexible on missile defense if during his own re-election bid, Putin in return would give him some space. That quid pro quo arrangement led to the U.S. abandonment of key missile defense systems with Poland and the Czech Republic. And uh, reciprocally, less than two years later, a Russian invasion, most, uh, mostly unopposed by the United States of Eastern Ukraine and Crimea. We won't touch that one. Uh, Trump did not boast publicly, as did Joe Biden, that he used U.S. foreign aid money as leverage to have a Ukrainian government fire a prosecutor who may have been looking into Biden's family's efforts to sell influence to corrupt Ukrainian interests. Trump did not, as the Bidens did, set up a family consortium to leverage monies from Ukraine, Russia, and China on their shared expectations that he might soon run for and be elected president and become compromised. Trump is not mentioned, as is Joe Biden, in family business communications as a recipient of a 10% commission on such payoffs. Trump did not, unlike Joe Biden, remove presidential papers without any authority to declassify them and leave them scattered and unsecured in a garage and various residences and offices. That's already old news. Trump did not, as did the FBI, wipe clean subpoenaed mobile phone records. Trump did not, as did interim FBI head Andrew McCabe, admittedly lie under oath on four occasions to federal investigations. Trump did not, as did CIA Director John Brennan, admittedly lie on two occasions while under oath to the U.S. Congress. Trump did not, 
as did Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, admittedly lie on one occasion to the U.S. Congress. Trump didn't, as did James Comey, claim amnesia or ignorance 245 times while under oath before the U.S. Congress. Trump did not, as did FBI Director James Comey, summarize a confidential private conversation with the president and then deliberately leak that classified memo to the media for his own agenda of appointing a special counsel to investigate the president, which turned out to be his friend Robert Mueller. Trump did not, as did Robert Mueller, claim ignorance while under oath when asked about the Steele dossier and Fusion GPS, the catalysts for Mueller's own investigation. Trump did not, as did private uh, citizen and former Secretary of State John Kerry, meet clandestinely while out of office with Iranian officials to help them resist current U.S. policy toward Iran, or what the Boston Globe characterized as an unusual shadow diplomacy to, quote, apply pressure on the Trump administration from the outside, end quote. Trump did not, as did the FBI and CIA, pay clandestine money to Twitter to monitor and smother news stories deemed unhelpful to their agendas. And lastly, but not least, and not all of it, Trump did not, as did then-Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, whip up a mob at the doors of the Supreme Court by threatening two sitting justices by naming, by naming them, to intimidate them concerning an independent and impending judicial ruling quote i want to tell you gorsuch i want to tell you kavanaugh you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price you won't know what hit you and then of course in subsequent months mobs of protesters swarmed the private homes of these two named justices to influence their decisions a federal crime that was ignored by attorney general merrick garland but not by a self-confessed potential assassin of justice Brett Kavanaugh, who later turned up in the neighborhood. So he goes on to talk about how, of course, it's rules for thee, not for me. We all know the whole, all the idioms and whatnot, but it's it's true. It's true. And yet you wonder what kind of a mind, what kind of a mind accepts this, swallows the pill, and uh, and doesn't think twice. And not only that, as he said in there, uh, many of the things investigated that Trump was investigated for were a means to distract from real crimes. Real crimes, Russiagate, as it gets along to there because of Hillary and Glenn Simpson and Fusion GPS and all that, that was an, a distraction from the Obama White House, the FBI, the CIA, and, and, and British assets spying on and attempting to sabotage and entrap Trump and all of his closest supporters. In many ways, it made it near impossible for Trump to even conduct normal relations with former uh, foreign states. You know, it's been a long time. Um, but the shithole countries comment, you remember that? Shithole countries that went around for a couple of weeks and CNN took the liberty to say shit like 200 times on, on air over the course of a couple of days. The reporting on the shithole, the, the angle I took on that was how incredible the willingness they had I thought that was so particularly insidious that they had these anonymous third-hand sources, of course, whispering whispers about whether or not that there was uh, some kind of a uh, an unsavory Trump comment allegedly made in closed-door meetings that he referenced to other bad, rundown third-world countries as shithole countries. And, um, and, and they, they paraded this around the world. They took this 
behind closed doors alleged whispering and they put they they paraded it around the world cnn and all of their sister networks they they decided that insulting as much of the world as possible was more important than leaving petty gossip alone because the insults would they hoped hinder trump's ability to function diplomatically these are the kinds of decisions that they make all the time and it's it's great for determining character 100 percent. i mean they had no way this is the same exact reason why the atlantic lied about donald trump disparaging those who had died during world war one because they had no way of breaking the support that trump had with the veterans so the media are suicide bombers for their cause suicide bombers of course they would never actually take their lives but they would torpedo their careers because um this is it's fun they feel like they're doing something great they're they're the clerics you know they're out there and they're doing war for their for their faith now the first impeachment the other one is there uh remember the first impeachment was to make sure that no one was really digging into what was going on in ukraine and after all those years after all those years, they finally found a way to get a mug shot. So they had the man, they found the crime. But predictably, if you were to ask them, we are the ones, we are the ones in a cult for seeing how lopsidedly dangerous all this is. And that is the reason, the real point for tonight's show is to analyze the cult. Now, to understand the mindset behind the political warfare that's going on and of course, the political warfare that can only happen, as I said in the opening, if there wa- if it was being done under the cover of an incredible social amount of social de- decay and um, delusion, degeneracy, all the D words. So when we come back, we're going to be talking about American devils. All right? Don't go anywhere. I promise you, it'll be good. Yes, he does. Here he goes, winding up for the shot, and... Oh, the cannon has fired and hit Sterling directly to the face. Here he goes with the approach. Oh, Oh, Sterling with a fantastic dive. The ball flies straight through his head. Yes, as his trainer takes him off the field like a mustache lion dragging a gazelle through the Serengeti. For the kick to happen, he's probably wondering when. Oh, sweet butter crumpet. My in the face literally just has to kick it anywhere except where sterling is sitting there is no possible way that north carolina can mess up this shot oh! 158 kilometers per hour this man can do no wrong look at him beg for mercy when it's mercy that should be begging for him he has looked death in the eye and crawling away from the goal what is he doing he's throwing away the bat of glory. We thank you for sharing this absolutely heart-stopping thing. Well, Jordan Peterson joins me now. Jordan Peterson, welcome. I'm sorry for getting emotional, but I'm afraid every minute women are gaining more weight. It's not going the other way. I'm sorry to say they won't stop eating. It's not like it makes me happy to say this. I wish it did. I wish I could say, yay, look how fat they are. Hooray, let's throw a parade. And what do the men do? Who are they supposed to make love to? Men can't reach their holes. It's like, sure, you want to get on top? Well, you bloody well sign my will and testament because I'm not going to make it through this. Happy birthday to who? Not me. 
Not any man I know. I've been to McDonald's. I've been to Wendy's. It's all women in there. It's like, oh God, how about a me too? For she also ate all my fries. No child should go to bed hungry because their mother ate all their food. When I was a boy in Canada, you used to be able to leave your pies cooling on the windowsill. Good luck with that now. Don't blink. There's a fat woman eating your pie. I was I've witnessed atrocities previously reserved for the eyes of war veterans, all thanks to the existential crisis rectangle. Now I sleep for two to four hours a night due to the incessant deafening chatter in my mind. And you can too, with the help of the existential crisis rectangle. The existential crisis rectangle includes historically unprecedented narcissism, mind-melting algorithms, and even the complete erosion of the moral fabric of society. So don't wait. Rush out and grab your own existential crisis rectangle today. Loss of virginity sold separately. I love QFTD. Yeah. Uh, you're cool. What's up? I love QFTV. Yeah. Yep. You're cool. Uh, what's QFTV? Did you say what's QFTV? Miss, you're gonna need to go over there and watch QFTV Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, right after Quite Frankly. Yeah. Oh, you're definitely cool. Only on QuiteFrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole. Okay, welcome. So, I want to read to you, because it's a shorter show tonight, I said, you know what, I'm going to read this whole thing and we're going to enjoy it together. Because there's probably a few of you out there that's going to go on a nice long drive somewhere, and uh, I think this will fill up the time nicely. If we do it in a good enough fashion, then we should have about a good 20 minutes to take some calls in the second half. But we're going on over to im1776.com. This was published by Benjamin Roberts uh, a few months ago. And uh, here is the name of the, the piece. It's called American Devils. Anti-social America from cults to serial killers to classrooms. And it leads with a Charlie Manson quote. You know, a long time ago, being crazy meant something. Nowadays, everybody's crazy. And I tend to agree. Here we go. Sit back and relax. This will take a few minutes. MKUltra, Helter Skelter, G-Men, Bugs Under the Skin, An Overbearing Mother, Castration, Kool-Aid, Sensational and Sensationalized Violence used to be the purview of hippie cults and self-proclaimed Sons of Sam. Over the last half century, America has been host to the homicidal, suicidal cults of the 1960s and 1970s, followed by 30 years of serial killers and now the school shooter. Antisocial violence has worn many masks across the decades and seems to shift at random. Each new grotesque contortion comes back as a shock, as a blow against all good sense. The public knows these people are mentally ill, that they're the proverbial black sheep and bad apples, but what? we cannot seem to understand is why. What about these spe specific windows in time prompts antisociality to emerge and attack in different ways? No matter what clothes they wear or their modus operandi, freaks and fanatics are a bellwether of contemporary American decline. 
Each period of murderous American deviancy corresponds to a specific set of material, social, and spiritual conditions. In order to better grasp what produces school shooters and in an effort to uh, systemize, uh, systematize an understanding of antisociality, it helps to understand the unique incentive structures of each period. The 1960s and 70s were a time of dramatic upheaval, a generation facing unbound prosperity, upward mobility, and unprecedented hegemony. Hippies and their fellow travelers rejected it all. Rather than hold fast to the institutional meta-narratives provided by church, nation, and family, these youths fled into the void of psychedelics, communal living, and free love. Tie-dyed heserarchs, Herizarchs, I haven't seen that one before, uh, welcomed them with open arms. The alternative meeting was provided for alternative living. There are two cults which serve as useful case studies, the People's Temple and Heaven's Gate, an outlier in the time, but one whose exceptions prove the rule. Each in its own way, it's a product of sexual deviancy, a forlorn search for meaning, and the new decadent anonymity of the post-war era. Religions create and sanctify, cults copy and pervert. America has always been bustling with new religious activity, some firmly in the realms of normalcy and others well outside. Though there were cults prior to the late mid-century, their explosion, influence, and scandal are firmly rooted in the sociological conditions of the hippie era. The post-war baby boom produced a generation of youth that by the time of the 1960s and 70s became revolutionary foot soldiers. Eisenhower's blatant lie over the U-2 incident, shortly followed by JFK's assassination, primed the the young for disillusionment and alienation from traditional modes of living. There were movements ready to capture this disillusionment toward their own ends. The Civil Rights Movement, something that in effect founded a third American republic, was was full of young left-wing Americans ready to lash out against the system that had lied to them. The Vietnam War channeled long-haired 20-somethings energy into a righteous crusade against the man. The initial entry of women into the workforce during the war and their ever-swelling numbers in traditionally male occupations and offices provided a new means of movement to young women who were eager to flex this new freedom. Cults, both nestled in and active leaders of these, uh, nestled in and active leaders of these movements, offered free sex, free drugs, and a new kind of liberation to all of these, all these prosperous, bitter young folk. Prosperous and bitter. There's a, there's a dichotomy, a duality. Three key material factors made the state's rich soil for cult activity. Firstly, the new generation enjoyed a newfound ability to relocate, separate from family, and strike out on their own. Baby boom prosperity provided both a means to flood into urban centers and cavort with the counterculture. Secondly, the invention and explosion of psychedelic drugs and the meteoric rise in marijuana use. Thirdly, mass adoption of the birth control pill, which gave women newfound sexual agency and provided the biological foundation for the infertile free love movement. The pill allowed women and men alike to ward off family to stay totally free and allowed to be enslaved by drugs, charismatic men, and ideology. I actually have to I have to play a little something for you guys sometime soon for another show I'm preparing. This really interesting breakdown. It's less than a minute long, but it got me going down a rabbit hole. 
this woman that was talking about how the birth control pill was actually the first step toward transhumanism because it was the first time that a medical device or any kind of technology was being used to alter a person to uh, change something that wasn't broke. And uh, it was the way that she put it. I'm going to keep that in in the feeder over here, and, and we'll definitely bring that out soon because we have a lot of really rich things to talk about. But onward with this. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out, out, out of the, uh, the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Mark 5, 9 through 13. This mid-century churn and opportunity inevitably produced many lost and lonely people. Jim Jones's People's Temple closely tracks and above uh, attracts the above sociological conditions, as does the Manson family. The Heaven's Gate is an exception to some factors and a confirmation of others. Manson famously turned seemingly all American boys and girls into ritualistic murderers and junkies. What he really scooped up were Hollywood burnouts failed musicians, actors, and a bundle, of, a bundle of runaways to boot. Manson was a soothsayer. With prophecy, LSD, and sexual control, he gathered a small but fanatical group of fellow travelers. In one of his many famous utterances, he, he remarked, quote, Your water's dying, your life's in that cup. Your trees are dying, your wildlife's locked up in zoos. You're in the zoo, man. How do you feel about it? End quote. Then and now, this is a common sentiment. It struck a chord. It promised an escape from the mundanity and the failures of normal lives. With helter-skelter on the horizon, Manson cajoled and caroused his way into arranging the murder of once-in-a-generation beauty Sharon Tate, her unborn child, and many others. But the truth is that he didn't have to do much. The hippies in his orbit lived lives of radical unimportance, and murder has a way of making one feel important. As Camille Paglia once wrote, Eroticism mixed with death is archetypically potent. In cultic experience, death is sexy, end quote, which was true of many mid-century California cults. If Charles Manson had arrived at a small rural town offering a vision of anything within the realm of normalcy, he wouldn't have been offering anything at all. Promising the ultimate trip to a score of down-and-out uh, California transplants and natives was another matter entirely. Manson had an abusive childhood and spent half his life locked up, a life of zero control. As we'll see, the profane alchemy of sex and death translates into a feeling of ultimate control over others. Manson was high profile, but persuading groupies to commit murder is another matter entirely from convincing people to kill themselves. Jim Jones was far more successful than Manson. Though he employed similar techniques, recruited people sick with the same afflictions, and mastered an era without meaning. He had an ace up his sleeves, and that was the civil rights movement. Though any large society-spanning endeavor will end up with its fair share of quacks and confidence artists, the civil rights era seemed particularly prone to these aberrations. Father Divine taught his followers that he was God, discouraged them from sex and marriage, and inspired the likes of Elijah Muhammad, founder of the Nation of Islam, as well as, predictably, Jim Jones. 
California Governor Jerry Brown, Assemblyman and later San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown, Kamala Harris's mentor, Vice Presidential Candidate Walter Mondale, First Lady Rosalind Carter, and gay rights activist Harvey Milk were counted among Jones's many associates and friends. Jones secured leadership of Indianapolis's Human Rights Commission and utilized his newfound authority to aggressively prosecute his vision of desegregation along with his allies in the NAACP. Black identity at the time was in flux and up for grabs. Racialist neo-Muslims, traditional black Protestants, and the Black, the black Panther Party, the People's Temple, and other militant Afro-socialist groups all sought to be the standard bearer of black identity. This is reflected in the People's Temple's demographics as well. 70% of members were black. 45% were black women. Again, Camille Paglia succinctly condenses the circumstances. Quote, Members of the 60s counterculture were passionately committed to political reform, yet they were also seeking the truth about life outside of religious and social institutions, end quote. But instead of alternative truths, they found legion in a cup of Kool-Aid. Jones's increasing paranoia and exposure to scrutiny caused him to uproot his people and move them to Guyana, a socialist safe haven. He aimed to create a USSR in miniature, an apostolic socialism. Jones declared to his congregation, quote, I am come as uh, I am come as God's socialist, whatever that means. And they believed him. Jones, especially in Guyana, made it a habit to rape his male followers and take members wives as concubines. Despite this, his followers, particularly his female followers, defended Jones to the death. Now, just think about this as we're going along. Okay. The. The, the rooking of a, of a man's manhood and completely breaking him, taking their wives and still having, uh, claiming the women and then also having the women still in, in the face of all of that, uh, that horror, having them stand up for the cult leader. Man, it's uh, very, very, it's all very relevant. And it's a lot more wide scale now. That's why it's good to do these little dives again. Despite this, his followers, particularly his female followers, defended Jones to the death. Anne Moore's suicide note blamed specific women of, quote, wanting sex from him that he was too ill to give, end quote, and went on to state that, quote, his hatred, that's Jim Jones, his hatred of racism, sexism, elitism, and mainly classism is what prompted him to make a new world for the people, a paradise in the jungle. The children loved it, so did everyone else, end quote. In the end, after the assassination of Congressman Leo Ryan, who had flown to Jonestown to investigate, these true believers preferred to murder their own children and kill themselves rather than sacrifice the meta-narrative Jones had given them. As one member, Christine Miller, attempted to convince Jones to spare the children, to arrange transport to the USSR, anything else aside from this, members of the cult shrieked and nearly assaulted her. They were violently eager to die. For these thousand, it was better than the wandering and the void in their hearts that would await them stateside. It's difficult to imagine something like Jonestown being replicated today, but another bastard of the 70s, Heaven's Gate, remains strikingly relevant even a half century from its inception. Heaven's Gate and its millennarian uh, UFO cult New Age teachings are complex, and you can access this information straight from the horse's mouth. Two supposedly surviving members who maintain the digital archive of their graduating class, with whom I briefly chatted, described the mass suicide as a fulfilling experience. 
In Heaven's Gate, we see yet again educated members of society living lives devoid of meaning, but we are also seeing the opposite side of sexual control. Celibacy was encouraged and gender differences were frowned upon. Applewhite, the cult's primary, uh, primary leader, after the ascension of his partner, castrated himself and his students followed his example. In 1976, the cult ceased uh, activity, active recruitment and retreated into monasticism. They would, however, disseminate their orthodoxy via the Internet, a novel form of uh, uh, evangelism at the time. Cultural theorist Paul Virilla, Virilio described them as Cybersect, a new religious movement which congregates online and depends on digital forms of communication to spread its message. Heaven's Gate was a forerunner of today's explosion in cybersectarianism, where numerous online political communities, fandoms, religious groups, and misanthropic collectives congregate and proselytize. We see this cybersectarian uh, sectarian grooming and self-mutilation most prominently today in the transgender phenomenon. Young, mostly autistic individuals are conditioned in Discord chat rooms and other forums into believing that they need to chemically castrate themselves or bind their breasts to feel normal. Cults cease to be the norm of sensational American antisociality for these, uh, for these three main reasons. Most readily apparent is that they failed miserably, spectacularly, and very publicly. Hippies look for peace and love quickly, uh, that were looking for peace and love quickly became disillusioned with murder, mayhem, and mass suicides and broken promises of new religious movements. These hippies returned to normalcy, they cleaned up, they became run-of-the-mill, soulless liberals in the 1980s or slowly suffocated in a green haze for another few decades. Beyond that, they failed to institutionalize charisma. The only cults of this era that remain, Scientology, for instance, managed to manufacture an office capable of continuing their dynamic founder's authority and mystique. Finally, the issues that these cults seized on were solved or dismissed in other ways. Contemporary, contemporary liberalism's great ascension, its desire to issue one nationwide uh, uh, damnatio, memori, memori, I get all of these uh, Latin words bad too, almost as bad as French. Their nationwide, um, let's just say a memorandum on human normalcy, co-opted and succeeded in advancing the late mid-century mo movement's goals. Scientology is a notable counterexample which emerged due to L. Ron Hubbard's battle with the hypermedicalization of psychiatry. And given the currently unquestionable dominance of psychiatry, Scientology preserved its oppositional, uh, its, its oppositional stance. There's another foreign word. Bad press. Amid several scandalous, ex, uh, expo, um, scandal, uh, scandalous exposés, I should say, there's no accent mark there, have however stymied its growth. You know, there's a Scientology, the, the biggest church, I don't know if it's the biggest one in the country, but right there in the middle of Times Square, you get pelted with a lot of, uh, a lot of brochures and anything if you're walking through. It's still all over the place, and New York is a hot spot, I guess. Furthermore, the internet altered the incentive structures necessary for dramatic cult action. When your membership consists of talking online, living six states away, and the vast majority of your potential followers are content with liberalism's manufactured meaning anyway, there's not much hard power to be had. As urbanization and interstate travel sped up, the cults burned out. 
a new form of disintegrating violence emerged, the serial killer. Looming under every broken street light, creeping up in every rearview mirror, serial killers ignited a novel wave of paranoia and psychoanalysis that remains part of the American consciousness to this day. Old cases are dug up again and again to produce another 40-odd minutes of lurid documentary straddling a fine line between tragedy and pornography. As with any other phenomenon, there are concrete factors which cause rippers to flicker in and out of a society. In the case of a serial murder, these are relatively straightforward. And here is a quote from Dennis Rader. When this monster entered my brain, I will never know, but it is here to stay. How does one cure himself? I can't stop it. The monster goes on and hurts me as well as society. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. These words pronounced by serial killer Dennis Rader, also known as BTK, Bind, Torture, and Kill, display the pathology of serial murderer in a full frontal fashion. A total uh, acknowledgement of the evil done, self-recognition, sexual compulsion, and lack of remorse. What caused men and women of this mold to rear their heads so violently in the 70s and 80s? Were they lurking beneath civilization's surface like a a chthonic force, uh, waiting to pounce? Were they produced by bad homes and loose morals? The answer, predictably, is some combination of both. Reports of serial murder stretch back to antiquity. However, they are rare. Something about this period either created better circumstances for them to operate, or the preceding decades affected some psychosocial shock severe enough to make monsters out of men. Materially, there were several advantages for the predators of the day. The concentration of people in urban centers virtually always uh, anonymizing and isolating themselves as a result offered plentiful and low-risk hunting grounds for would-be boogeymen. Interstate roadway development and its accompanying slice of motels, drifters, long haulers, and hitchhikers added to this. A city, in many cases, wasn't needed, just a small town, nightfall, and a functioning car. Inasmuch as these antisocial tendencies existed in previous eras, the hypersocial mode of agrarian living, restrictions of movement, and yes, intact families, strictly limited the means of action for these types. Neuroscientist James Fallon found that fathers returning from World War II, stricken with PTSD, often influenced their children's early childhood development negatively. Often absentee, drunk, violent, or all of the above, these formative years exacerbated potentially latent traits in later serial killers. Oftentimes, a domineering mother would fill the void left by these veterans, further estranging antisocial children from normalcy and breeding pathological resentment to boot. For a serial killer to be, fo- uh, to be formed, a perfect storm of factors is necessary. Broken homes, high-trust targets, urbanization, ease of transport, frontal lobe damage, and genetic predispositions. The 1970s and 1980s possessed all of the right stuff, though this era stretched until the early 2000s. Things changed after the so-called golden era of serial murder in the two aforementioned decades. Victim pools shrank to prostitutes, then shifted online, and have now either submerged and returned to the roadman equilibrium of the past or genuinely diminished under different conditions. The media, as ever, made hay off of other sufferings, igniting massive paranoia uh, paranoia across the the country. The result was an America that drastically reduced social capital, the rise of stranger danger, childhood uh, uh, education, and a feeling that the country was spiraling into the abyss. 
These things remain with us today, even if serial killers have taken a back seat in both media, sensationalism, and activity. Again, we see the psychosphere produce its own cruel maladies and bitter medicines. The epidemic of serial killing spurs society to adapt and defend itself, but in so doing, losing much of what constituted the society in the first place. Additionally, the deus ex machina of the DNA testing led to the early apprehension of criminals and murderers who would have previously blossomed into Sons of Sam's and Zodiac killers. A warrior society, smarter police, an emergence of the internet, and a generational exchange of parents all chipped away at serial killers' operational capacity. The internet was leveraged by them in some ways, but in general, the diminishment of social life and stranger interaction was crippling for serial killers. It was, however, a hefty price to pay at its own right. There are fewer fathers with PTSD and fewer domineering mothers, but more neglect, more divorce, less, rooted, uh, less rootedness, and fewer family support structures overall. America, though it may be trite to say, has atomized. This disassembly didn't make America safer. It only swapped one gruesome villain for another, the school shooter. Not only, and here is a uh, quote from G.K. Chesterton. Not only is suicide a sin, it is the sin. It is the ultimate and absolute evil, the refusal to take an interest in existence, the refusal to take oath of loyalty to life. The man who kills a man kills a man. The man who kills himself kills all men. As far as he is concerned, he wipes out the world. The man's crime is different from other crimes, for it makes even crimes impossible. The cult believes, the cultist believes in meaning. It yearns for it and finally finds some warped and snake-oiled version of it. No matter how abnormal, perverse, or life-denying, they did find solace in spaceships, silver tongues, and ritual sacrifice. Their mistake was looking for, a, uh, for it in mildewed crevices, in the, in the brambles where liars with perfect teeth and crooked smiles prepare their resting places. These stringy-haired ramblers fled from the dying culture of their parents and into the lethal novel culture of gurus and alternative living. The serial killer, on the other hand, has no use for meaning at all. He is the world. His meaning is himself. He is content to continue killing as long as he can. He is, being a pure, uh, he, he is a being of pure egoism. What makes a school shooter different, however, is that he wants meaning, desperately. He never finds it, not in some cyber cult, not in the good book, nowhere. The closest he can ever get is through nihilistic stardom, wiping out the world, his own personal doomsday, one last solar flare before the lights go out. There are no anonymous school shooters. Even, in everyone, even if everyone becomes a star, going supernova before collapsing into dwarven, uh, uh, to dwarven, nothing. A school shooting is a murder, but it isn't a very helpful way to think about it. In reality, the school shooting itself is a suicide of mass proportion, a knife in the dark against life itself. By killing children, and almost always themselves as well, the school shooter makes the entire world suffer, the world which left them in Stygian silence. Technological determinism is an easy way out. Sure, um, <clears throat> sure, the, the siloization of online, the endless onslaught of groomers, Easy access to the vilest and sickening material imaginable and the celebrity status of other mass murderers have had an effect. But these things existed, albeit in more personal and immediate forms, during the heyday of cults and serial killers as well. 
The question is, what about today turns these antisocial creatures into nihilistic kid killers instead of cultists or serial uh, exsanguinators? America has also had both guns and schools forever. If you paid heed to the tired cookie cutter examples of the great replacers and resetters, you might think both of these things were novel. Prior to the 2000s, school shootings overwhelmingly followed the typical archetype of homicide, grudge killings, and crimes of passion. Now, what they go into here for the, for the next, the, the other little bits over here is, of course, the guns. And it goes into how things have changed from on Friday night when Matt was here, we were discussing about, we were discussing how every school around here, at least, and I know somewhere in the country, you guys still have those, um, those rifle clubs and, and uh, a lot of your children are involved in it. And that used to be a staple of even schools in the Northeast, blue states, places where you can barely even handle a weapon anymore without having to have it through three different locked up cabinets and trigger locks and all that other crap that renders it useless to even own in the first place. What has changed? Well, I think that when you take this and you really take a look at where they all go with the, the, the disconnecting people from purpose and you see really just what is driving the atomization of the country, it, it, it is, it is, it's what's driving everything in non-deadly situations like with the Trump thing as well. There is nothing there that matters. There's nothing that matters. When you can look at something that is either a, a, de- a cultural death, a death of something that is in many ways um, the death of a, of a nation is when you see the death of its laws. And even in the face of that, you just laugh and you say, go to hell, who cares? The nihilism that's involved in that, you, like, you, they know they know that they only like this because it's something that they feel is, is, uh, is going to benefit them. But really, it's a suicide. And it's in everything. It's even in the way that they, uh, that they avoid talking about what's really driving violence. Because, of course, they are the ones that created the violence. The puppet masters, at least. We were given this, this, this nonstop fighting with each other. And I want to talk about a little bit more of that when we, when we come on back. Because I think um, I think that's where we're heading a little bit more. And it's just good to understand what you're not going to be able to achieve by talking with people that maybe we were able to do 15, 20 years ago. And I, I and that and that's not really just to, to help make your your misery if you're having any right now or any any kind of isolation any worse, but it's actually a good way of, of practicing some 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 good old fashioned situational awareness who are the people around you what are they capable of and if if it's not them that is that's really the the control of the situation to know what kind of orthodoxy they are living under and and what controls them so it's a good self-preservation tool we'll be right back don't go anywhere it's intermission time, folks. Time out. Press the like button. Thank you. Ladies and Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back.
entering. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? There we go. There we go. Here's another quote I love. Liberalism, the noble annihilator, has hollowed out every institution, every binding force, every social fail-safe and backstop, and its agents feign surprise when the liberating infanticide it promotes is taken to its next logical step. The cultists died, reintegrated, or were swept into liberalism's institutionalized abnormality. Yes, indeed. Yes, but it is a it is a cult. It is a cult, no doubt about it. Let's go and check out what's going on in the super chats. We'll take some calls, and we're off in a couple of minutes. So nine one four five nine five six nine five three. We can get a couple people in. I think first one up. First one. Oh, oh here we go. Albert Frederick says, "Oh, geez, wait." He sent one, five, four, the same exact thing. I think this, I think he said, did you send four duplicates here, Albert? I hope you weren't charged four times for this. Says, I know, right? So what are the people going to do about Trump? Nothing. Then just sit down, shut up and take your CBDCs. And if they do, or a false flag, great excuse to attempt to take your guns. While the economy crashes and on the brink of war. Anima. Very exciting. Well, the one thing nobody should ever should should do is is go down and be a part of any big groups for anything like this. Because that is the only thing that can really come out of this. Like I said, the feds had passed this up twice. And 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 New York is going to try to push this one over the goal line, and I don't know why. If it's just if it's going to fall through, or what the hell's going to go on here? A time waster, or something, or maybe just hoping that somebody will be so pissed off about it, or a little bit of FBI Whitmer planning. Who knows? Jim, Jim from Maine. What's going on, Jim Zell? Hey, Frank. How we doing? I'm doing all right. I'm just doing a little bit of a psychological show tonight uh since it's gonna be a short <laughs> no, that, that, that's a fascinating really a well-done article yeah and, and it, it went a little bit deeper into the school shooting thing which i i didn't think that we needed to do just because it was more so the the formation how how the culture produces these things that i thought was interesting and, and you you came on to talk about jonestown a lot with frank so i, uh, I a yeah. lot of that was just a brush up 
yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, on the with Jonestown, obviously, each segment that you talked about regarding Jonestown, serial killers, yeah, they have their own rabbit holes that you can go down into. On Jim Jones, the micro level, there's a lot more with uh, his government, you know, uh, CIA ties and that. But on the macro level, he was spot on that people without meaning, right? The culture will tell you that you have no purpose, that there is no meaning in this life. But people are going to seek it out in some form or in some fashion, right? Mm-hmm. You just have to because, you know, there's that French philosopher, Albert Camus, who said, should I drink a cup of coffee or should I kill myself? Right? It's mm-hmm. like, what is if you have no purpose, then does it matter if you have that cup of coffee or does it matter if you kill yourself? It doesn't really matter. Life right. has no meaning. It's, and that is what's propagated today to, to these young people. And, and you know, I, I work in a school system, in a public school system, and I look at some of these kids, and man, man alive, dude, it's sad. It, it, it's just like the look in their eyes, and it's just like they're, they're jaded at such a young age. Man, it's, it's awful. It's awful to see. But, uh, yeah, just a fascinating read and how the, the, the drive for, you know, for meaning in life. And, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to seek that out. And where that eventually leads is to, like, you know, he, how we tied it into the school shooting was fascinating, that they will derive their meaning or their purpose at that moment. That's my purpose, to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you talk about meaning or, or, or purpose or the lack thereof, this it's it's so um you can see it in the way that again as i said before the only reason why what's going on in in new york over the next couple of days is even possible is because we have been prepped psychologically for this being either you're on one side or the you're the other and that keeps us into this shitty orbit if everybody out there were free from this mindset and actually had real big things real important things uh, or, or really, I would say, good, healthy outlooks on life and and the future. They would see this as a loss for everyone. That a loss Absolutely. for as a loss for everyone to go after a Donald Trump uh, for the motivations that are being that we know are apparent. It's it is it is so bad, especially since nobody else goes to jail for anything, and we're talking about r- the hypocrisy r- around it is a, is staggering. It's absolutely staggering that he's being indicted on this, yet everybody else gets to walk. <laughs> no one <laughs> on wins. Every crime imaginable, basically. Yeah. Any politician. It's Yeah, it's sickening. And you're right. It's like, you know, we are set up. We are kind of caught up in that in that orbit. You know, it's there are bigger and better things out there. And, the, you know, and the, he talked about the, the hippie movement, which was fascinating. And I would recommend people to go see this movie because it talks it, it's very much discusses the hippie movement and their drive for meaning the the jesus revolution movie it's a good movie and it talks about um how the hippies were looking for that that meaning in everything else they were looking for the divine in drugs in sex and you know they couldn't find it and the one guy the one hippie that was taken in by the church leader chuck smith he is a beautiful scene in the movie where he's like, you know, man, he goes, I did everything and everyone under the sun. He goes, but it was, I was looking for meaning. And he goes, and I got to the end of it all. 
and it was nothing. It's a trap. And he's like, my people, my hippie people, he goes, they are sheep without a shepherd. And, and Chuck Smith, the pastor, invited this hippie to his church, barefoot and all, and that thing exploded in the early, like, 70, 72, something like that. It was amazing to see how hippies went from one extreme, and then they found, they found Christ. You know, not just, a, not just a few, hundreds, if not thousands. You yeah. know, they found their true meaning, and their meaning was that there is a God who created us, who loves us, who died for us. Right? We have purpose. If you take away purpose, Frank, it is. I mean, what do you do? You, you can do anything you want. You know, if their life have no purpose, you could go out and have a nice uh, latte with with your wife and and take your family to the movies or a restaurant, or you can go out and shoot up a school. Doesn't matter. Or, or, or you can be, or, or of course, you can direct. You can direct the, uh, the the craziness in the streets the way it is. You can take all the time that is available to you inside of inside of government or any of these other places, and and, and just think about plots. How, how do you, how do we attack ourselves so we can attack other people? I mean, to think to think about that, what is being set up, man. Um, I, I just wish more people saw it, regardless of what their family history with voting is, because this should be so obvious, but it's not obvious because there has been a very, very thick, thick schedule of of conditioning that has taken place oh, here. Absolutely, this is one big. I don't know what's going to transpire <laughs> with this once this happens, but it is a setup. There's no doubt, and 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 it is sad that you know. I talk to people at work about it, and you know, I work in the school system, very liberal, and you got to see the people so excited that that, that um, President Trump is being indicted, and it's and to talk with them is a waste of time. Yeah, that's what I'm it, saying. It, you, Jim, you cannot break through. No, that I'm. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm reading. We're we're about to finish up Brave New World in about ten minutes from now, and. Think it's like if you don't feel if you're reading this book and you don't feel like we are all John the Savage and that we are you, there is just nothing you're surrounded you're surrounded by 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 people who have human form they're walking on two legs they're walking on two legs they're they're talking a familiar a familiar uh, language but. There is no getting through to them, and you realize that they're they they might as well be robots. That is a very very lonely lonely feeling. Uh, yes. I mean, maybe it would be a little bit less long and even lonelier when you see the whole damn operation as a big farce. Not that okay. Well, you you're on the blue team and I'm on the red team, and it's it's Yankees versus Red Sox. No 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 no. When 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 you you trying to you trying to you trying to tell everybody <laughs> that the whole thing is a farce. And, um, oh, man, it, it's very frustrating. Frank, I tell you, just like trying to talk with people about, you know, just, you know, geopolitics and is a big thing at, at work. You know, my coworkers, when they when they see me, I could, because I gave my view on the Ukraine and, and you know, when I come in, th these coworkers will goof on me. Like, I'll come in and you know what they'll play on their cell phones? The Russian national anthem. Okay. When I come in. Like yeah, they, they they call me you know they call me Putin lover. They play the Russian national anthem when I come into a room. Sometimes 
It's like all because I opposed the Ukraine yeah. the Ukraine war. And I tried to speak, you know, some basic, you know, truth about geopolitics and how and what was happening was a, a total, you know, was not Russia's fault, per se. And that, yeah, it, it's crazy times we live in, man. It is. Crazy times. Jim, I'm glad you caught, you got to call in. It's, uh, it, was, it was nice to see your name pop up. Thank you for this. Oh, hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. And once again, that, that's a tremendous article. You know, that's a tremendous article. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I know we only had a limited time tonight, and I know it was a long one. I don't usually read things that long on the air, and uh, so I, I, I try to do my best because I don't want to lose anybody's interest. But I, I just thought it was it was a good little it dive. Was, it, was, it was fascinating. I'll leave you with one little tidbit. That part about serial killers, that, that goes back. Serial killers have been around for ages, man, ages. And a little, you can look it up. Joseph Stalin's head of security, he was a serial killer, a literal serial killer, his <laughs> head of security. <laughs> he would go around and abduct a women and children off the street at will and do whatever he wanted with them. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> serial killers go way back. But anyway... There's a lot to look at in that article, and I'll, I'll let you go, but have a good night, Frank. Appreciate you. Thank you, Jim. Have a good one. Okay, pal. Bye. All right, so here we have a uh, super chat, a rumble rant from One Way Mel. Mel says, Crow777 has done deep dives into Height Ashbury and Laurel Canyon and the CIA's involvement in these cults. Good stuff. I have not seen his coverage of that, but I, I really love when people talk about that subject. Got a couple of books I want to reread once I'm all settled into whatever my new reality is over the next few months see how that goes here's a couple of super chats from quite frankly tv i had to run through these because we only have a few minutes left sean joe says well gave gave a nice little tip no message but i can feel the love tempo thank you so much hello to you as well youper viking says anyone else bracing themselves for whatever images come out tomorrow crazy times images we'll see We'll see. I mean, it's really, it's all going to be about the mugshot. It's going to be about the mugshot. So everything, I'll keep an eye out for that. And it'll just probably be a call-in show and call-in and observations show tomorrow night. As we'll have about an hour or so to, to, to do some stuff with each other. But who knows what tomorrow will bring. Uh, 24-7 spin. Thank you. Youper again says a can of anything but Bud Light. Yeah, I heard about that shit. Thankfully, I don't drink beer. And if I did, I wouldn't go for that piss. Boyce Blanc says, Chris Ann, whoop, whoop. Yep, she's coming back. And thank you so much to Rona or Ronald. I'm sorry. I didn't see the LD. I just saw R-O-N-A. Sorry, Ronald. You don't want to be a Rona tonight. Jesse, 81138, and Boyce Blanc and Sean Joe. Well, you guys and gals over there on QuiteFrankly.tv, you just sit back, relax, and enjoy yourselves because... We have the after-hours programming that's going to kick in. And sometime around 9.45, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, I'm sure, Skyfall will begin because around 10 p.m. on Monday nights is when the main feature has, has started the last couple of, couple of weeks. So that's been nice because I'm home already from Book Club, and I get to watch it with you too in the chat room. So I'll see you there. I'll go and do that right now. Let's go and release the scratching. Everybody likes getting scratched. Good. And let's take another call. Last call of the night. Jerry, you got the, you got the last two minutes, Jerry. Yeah, I'll be as quick as I can, Frank. Um, this is 
on behalf of Mr. Smith, who's one of the quite frankly family that you know. That I do. He's been yeah. a stalwart for years. Yeah. Right. Well, he is. Um, <sighs> I want to ask you to publicise his GoFundMe page. I've sent you a link and an email. He's lost three close family members in short order, and they're really struggling to pay for it. Wait, hold on. expenses of the third. Hold, hold on, Jerry. You're really breaking up, but from but from what I've been able to make out, Mr. Smith, who I know he's 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 watched the show for for years now. You said that he had several family members that died. Yeah, he, um, his cousin and both of the cousin's parents have died in a short period of time, and the funeral expenses for the third funeral is just more than they can manage at the moment. So there's a GoFundMe page, and if anybody can, you know, five bucks, anything at all, everything that you can give, it would be greatly appreciated. And thanks for taking this call. Okay, you and you said you sent me the links. I can put it. I mean, I wish this is why I can't stand the fact that we we lost our Discord because I can just I can drop that into the laps of over however many thousands of people. So the, the Gilded is not that big, but I'll put it there and the Telegram and whatever else I can do. Um, or maybe even in the uh, the description panel. I don't know. But, sure. Uh, okay, I'll, um, I'll be on the lookout. I sent you an email with a, a, a link, and thanks very much for taking this. Um, wouldn't be phoning in if it wasn't, you know, dire straits. No, it's okay, Jerry. Thank, thanks for looking out. Thanks for looking out for uh, for another uh, another person like that. And I definitely know who that is. So I'll I'll be looking for your email, and I'll pass that around a bit. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank sir. You See you soon. See you soon. Okay, 829. Short show tonight. I hope it hit the spot. You know, I'll I'll be uh I'll find something to kick myself over until tomorrow night at seven o'clock. But we'll we'll start again over then too. Thank you for everything, especially all the wonderful messages over the weekend for my birthday. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to I'm just looking forward to everything. So, you've been great. Tomorrow, 7 o'clock, we will see you. That's not what I wanted to do at all. We will see you right here on QuiteFrankly.tv and elsewhere. Nighty night. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatter, starting with Albert Frederick, uh, One Way Mail, and all of our wonderful friends over there on Foxhole on QuiteFrankly.tv. Tomorrow is another day, my friends. Thank you so much for tonight. And get over to QuiteFrankly.tv and enjoy the Mystery Movie Monday After Hours programming with the main feature starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, QuiteFrankly.tv. See you there.